Hi everyone, my name is Sean, and I'm so glad that you're able to log in and join us this morning. If you are joining us for the first time, we welcome you, and we trust that you will enjoy this time we have set aside together. Now over to Pastor Steve for today's sermon. I remember hearing a story by a pastor who had this leader in his church that always used to complain and always used to criticize him and had so much to say about all that he was doing wrong. This particular church happened to track the giving of the members and so this pastor went to check just how was this leader's giving and he made this amazing discovery and the truth was this leader who had some means was hardly invested at all financially in the life of the church. It just so happened in the same week, the same church made this discovery that there was this young person who was selling ice creams and he was giving many times over to the ministry of the church. And so the points of this pastor's message was sometimes the loudest critics are the least invested in the life of the church. I heard another pastor put it this way, that the loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. You see, sometimes we can feel like we're making a difference when we're criticizing and when we're loud and when we're shouting and when we're sharing our opinions on how everybody is or isn't doing the right thing. But the reality is sometimes we're actually not making a difference. Now, maybe you've seen this during lockdown where suddenly everyone's got a medical degree and a law degree and is sharing their opinions with 100% confidence. Now, there's nothing wrong with having our opinions, but the point is we're shouting them louder. We're getting to our conclusions sooner and we're getting angrier and fiercer than ever before. And it is not only on social media. Maybe you've been in a public setting at a restaurant or at a party where you bring up some conversation around current events and suddenly World War 3 erupts around you as opinions get shared and it really becomes a war. Now the sermon is not on how to disagree well, although that would make a good sermon one day, but the sermon is actually going to be observing how Nehemiah is not an armchair critic. Nehemiah is going to make a real difference. He's going to make a real difference. He had strong opinions, but he was able to mobilize people. He was able to face down opposition. He was able to get people invested in what was happening and actually make a real change in the world around him. So far, we've spoken about your kingdom burden. And don't you want to be able to make a real difference, actually roll up your sleeves put something into action where real change comes about because of your kingdom burden, because of what God is calling you to move forward in the kingdom. Now we are at Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah is in charge in a leadership position at Jerusalem. He has rallied the people to build the wall. He's faced down some external opposition and now we're going to start seeing some internal difficulties that Nehemiah is going to have to deal with. So let's read from chapter 5, verses 1, the first five verses. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. They were hungry. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Can you see how desperate they are? 
Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Now remember, the Jews had just spent 70 years in exile under the oppressive regime of Babylon. And they've just spent the last 70 years, after those 70 years, just recovering, trying to stay alive. And yet they are still finding themselves powerless. And now their fellow Jews, their fellow countrymen, the leaders in whom they were trusting, are actually oppressing them in the same way that the Babylonians had oppressed them. Nothing had changed. They were still powerless. They were still poor. They were still losing property. They were losing children. They were being taxed at such high levels that they couldn't pay the money back. So how does Nehemiah deal with this internal pressure at this time? How does he lead? How does he make a difference? And I think we're going to see some principles that are really going to help us make a difference as we move our kingdom burden forward. So number one, we're going to see that Nehemiah demonstrated passion. Nehemiah demonstrated passion. Listen to what it says in verse 6. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. Here's something that we need to know. When we as Christians see oppression and injustice, we are allowed to get angry. Let me tell you that when God sees oppression and injustice, God gets angry. Whether it's one people group like the Babylonians oppressing another people group like the Jews or whether like in this case it's one people group, the Jews oppressing their own people, God gets angry and we are allowed to get angry as well as we echo God's heart. So we need to allow ourselves to be moved. We need to allow ourselves to be impassioned. We need to allow God to shake our hearts And this takes courage. It's far easier to not be moved. It's far easier to see oppression and injustice and things that break God's heart around us and to not respond emotionally. It is far easier to possibly be in my own little bubble and I'm not being affected by these things. So therefore I choose to not engage. Or it's way easier to get offended by every tiny little offense without really engaging the big weighty issues that moves God's heart and ought to move our hearts. But if we want to make a difference, we need to allow the things that break God's heart to break our hearts. We need to allow the things that make God passionate and the change that he wants to see to cause us to be impassioned about the change that we want to be a part of. We see this so many times in Jesus. We often see in the Gospels that Jesus was moved in his heart. He was moved in his core. He was moved by passion. We see Jesus looking at Jerusalem, knowing these people had rejected him and rejected God. And he wept. He was impassioned. We see Jesus demonstrating righteous anger in the temple. We see Jesus mourning and grieving and getting impassioned when he saw death steal the life of his friend Lazarus. 
And so in the same way, we are emotional beings before we're cognitive beings. And if we are going to move and make a real difference, we need to get impassioned. But number two, Nehemiah also exercised good judgments. He exercised good judgments. You see, it's one thing to get passionate. It's one thing to get angry. It's one thing to have our emotions boil within us. It's another thing to know how to respond afterwards. I know for me, when I get angry, which hardly ever happens, you know, when I get angry, I tend to react and not respond. I tend to take it out on my wife, on my kids, on the cat and the dog. Neurologists call this an amygdala hijack, where literally your emotions take control of the steering wheel of your life, crash your life into the side of a mountain and then disappear, leaving you to deal with the damage afterwards. So what do we see in Nehemiah? In verse 7 it says, I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. And so I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. And they kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. I don't know if you saw these first words when Nehemiah said, I pondered them in my mind. Notice the order. I got angry and then I pondered. I got angry and then I thought and I pondered. I weighed things. I got angry and then I engaged my mind, which we have to do intentionally. I am 100% that Nehemiah engaged God in prayer, seeking wisdom in this. But we don't do that. We get angry and then we send the text. We get angry and then we make the comments on social media. We get angry and then we share the fake news. And again, we as Christians are allowed to get angry with the things that make God angry or move his heart. But how we follow up with that is so important. We need to learn to follow up our passion with pondering and prayer and thinking and planning and gathering people around us. We need to spend some time asking God and others to help us work out. Is this just my issue? Am I acting out of brokenness? Is there anything I'm missing here? And then from there, we can go from our emotions mobilizing us. And then we're thinking strategically and carefully, hopefully with a bucket load of wisdom. And then we can put our plan into action. Reading God's word, gathering people around me, getting godly advice. You see, righteous anger alerts us to the fact that there is something wrong. To the fact that God's people are being hurt or there is sin or there is brokenness in the world around us. But then we need to exercise sound judgments. God's word says we have not been given a, a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. Wisdom exercising sound judgments. 
The third thing we see Nehemiah do is he courageously confronts injustice. He courageously confronts injustice. In the next few verses and some of the verses that we've just read, we see Nehemiah having a showdown with his leaders where, where he confronts them with all the injustice that he's seen. He's not just throwing his toys out. He's not just having a fit or he's not going behind everybody's backs and creating kind of some form of partisan system. No, he recognizes that he has the opportunity to use his leadership for its intended purpose. And that is to confront injustice. And that is exactly what he does. So he challenges these leaders to right their wrongs. To pay the people back, to give them their property back and their livelihoods back. And let me just prepare you. If God is calling you to do something that is going to be of significance in this world, at some point, He's going to call on you to stand up courageously and confront injustice, confront brokenness, confront evil. This may happen multiple times in your life because there is so much sin and brokenness in the world around us. Now we know how Nehemiah's story turned out but he didn't at the time and yet he still stood up courageously because that is what he knew needed to happen and we need to do the same. Now at this stage maybe we're thinking wow Nehemiah has won. Alright, he was moved. He thought, he planned, he strategized. He most likely prayed. I'm convinced of that. And then he went to the leaders. He courageously challenged them. He told them what needed to happen, what repentance looked like. And they did. Wow, look at how the story turned out. That must be the end of a very successful confrontation. Yes? Well, there's more. There's more. And this fourth point, I think, is probably one of the most vital ingredients that we need to have in our lives if we want to make a real difference in this world. And that is, Nehemiah demonstrated character and integrity. Character and integrity. Well, how did he do this? Well, it says here in verse 14, Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor, but the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on these people. See, at this stage, Nehemiah was in leadership. He was a governor. Apparently, it came with a nice fat salary. And he realized that his predecessors were living large. They were putting unjust taxes on these people over and above what is normal. They were fat cats. They were living in luxury while their own people were poor and suffered. And Nehemiah decided, I'm going to have nothing of that. It says here again in verse 17, Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every ten days an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. Listen to this. But in spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor, because the demands were very heavy on these people. See, too often we've seen oppressive leadership replaced by some form of liberated leadership, which in turn too often becomes an oppressive leadership. Nehemiah knew that in order to truly lead, not only could he confront the other oppressive leaders, 
He had to, when he had that level of leadership, he had to live a new way. He had to lead by example. He had to, to quote the cliche, be the change that he wanted to see in the world around him. And so he chose not to enrich himself with the governor's tax. Evidently, he still had some means. I mean, he was having a big, awesome, fat spit bra every single day with 150 people eating some good food and wine. And yet... In the middle of all of that, his heart was broken for his people and he chose to love them and serve them with character and demonstrating integrity. And so he developed a moral authority. A moral authority. If we want to make a difference, that is what we need. We can do everything else. We can get passionate. We can get angry. We can even get righteously angry and moved by things that move God's heart. We can think, we can plan, we can strategize, we can pray, we can confront. But if we don't have a moral authority, if we're not living with character and integrity, our influence will be short-lived. I'm not talking about the moral authority that comes from standing on a tomato box, pointing out everybody else's wrongs. I'm talking about living out with your own character and your own integrity, the principles that you know are going to turn around the very evil that you have just seen and that you've been fighting. So at this stage, as you've been listening to this message, maybe you've noticed some injustices around you or some oppression that is starting to move your heart. You're feeling the passion. You're feeling your blood pumping through your veins and you want to know what to do next. Well, here's my big prompting question. And whether you are feeling a passion right now or not, I encourage you to write this question down and to come back to it before God and ask Him where He's wanting to move you. Here's the big question. What wrong is God wanting you to write? What wrong is God wanting you to write? Maybe it is injustice. Maybe it is oppression. Maybe it is about how people are treated or paid in your organization. Maybe it's finding different ways to empower people. Or maybe your heart is broken by illiteracy or or lack of education or the fact that people don't know God or don't love God or don't know how to follow Him. What wrong is God wanting you to write? See guys, some of us think that being a Christian is just about going to church sometimes reading the Bible, singing some songs, and saying grace. And then we get back to our real life. Now, if I kind of say those four things, but put on the spin that I think is appropriate for what God wants for our lives, being a Christian is definitely going to involve being part of Christ's body, which is God's plan A for the world. It's going to involve worshiping and being enamored and captured by God's glory and His majesty and having a heart that's transformed by that. It's going to be ingesting and consuming God's word so that my mind is being transformed and my life is being changed. And then it is going to be involved It is going to involve being empowered in prayer by God's Holy Spirit. Those are not things that I do to go to heaven and get back to my real life. Those are things that put me in tune with God. That puts more of God in me. Those are things that fuel me to be the vehicle of change in this world as I participate with God's active kingdom around me. 
But being an armchair critic, having opinions and just shouting them, whether it be in person or over social media, is not how we change the world. Theodore Roosevelt had this quote. This quote is so profound. It's quite long. But listen to this. He said, It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles. Or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. Whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. Who strives valiantly. Who errs. Who comes short again and again. But there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds. Who knows great enthusiasms. The great devotions. Who spends himself in a worthy cause. Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement. And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. So God wants us to be impassioned. God wants us to have a sound mind. He wants us to think and plan and strategize. God wants us to confront injustice. God wants us to love and serve people with character and integrity. God wants to empower all of that so that we're moving the ball forward in the kingdom of God. And so what do we do next? Well, Nehemiah was a leader. He had a unique position amongst his people where he could influence a large number of people. But I'm sure out there, you have an influence that God is wanting to leverage for his kingdom. Maybe you are a CEO or an owner of a company. Maybe you've got a large number of staff who report to you. Maybe you've got some influence in a certain group of people. Maybe you don't have a formal title like CEO or some form of management position. But maybe you walk into a room every day and there are 30 young lives who are looking to you for wisdom and courage and direction. Maybe you don't even have a job, but you're at home. And let me tell you, moms and dads, whether you're working or not, the fact that you've got one, two or three or however many children looking to you to be shaped so that they can be difference makers in this world, that is one of the most awesome and incredible responsibilities that we need to undertake with everything that God gives us. See, every single one of us has influence. The only question is, what are we going to do with that influence? What wrong is God wanting you to right? Regardless of how you answer that question, I can promise you this. There are people, people you know, people you don't know, who are relying on you saying yes to what God is placing on your heart right now. It may be one person. It may be hundreds or thousands of people's lives who are going to be different because of how you respond to God right now in this moment. I mean, there are things happening all around us that break God's heart. I don't need to convince you of the sin and brokenness around us. In other words, there is no shortage of opportunities for us to be God's hand and feet in this world, empowered by Him and participating with God as He is active in this world. And so every single one of us is going to be called up to be part of what God is doing and to right wrongs. And so I want to pray that God would do this, that God would break our hearts, that God would move our passions, that God would give us wisdom, 
that God would give us courage and that God would lead us to live with integrity and character as we love and serve people. So let's pray for exactly that. Father, we recognize there is so much need around us. We also recognize there's so much need within us. And you're calling us not to just sit and have opinions. You're calling us to be involved and to make a real difference. And God, at best, we want to participate with you and follow your leading and your guidance. And so, Father, as we are all in different places, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit takes the word that was preached today and convicts us and challenges us and calls us. So, Father, I pray that you would start stirring our passions, that our passions are aligned not with our own selfish needs, but are aligned with your passions. Father God, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us a sound mind, sober judgments as we think and pray, read your word, consider, get godly insight into the opportunities that God has for us? And then God, give us courage to act and to move and to face evil and face opposition and face difficulty and sin and brokenness. And Father God, at the same time, would you be working in our character, transforming our lives that we have a lasting influence and a lasting legacy as we love and serve you and the people around us. And Father, most of all, I pray for your favor upon us, that we are not doing this in our own strength, but we are greatly supplied by your vision and your power. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.